Welcome to Tech Career Podcast. Creating valuable and relevant content to encourage, motivate, and empower you to achieve your career goals. Welcome to Tech Career Podcast. My name is Christian Trujillo, and I am your host. Today's episode is part of our series called My First Job in Tech, where we talk about the struggles and successes that many have had while getting their first job in technology. And today's special guest is John Kerr. John Kerr serves as the Managing Director of Managing Technical Sales, LLC. The company is dedicated to serving the needs of pre-sales engineers across the globe through a combination of skills enablement, management consulting, and keynote speeches. John is also one of the authors of a book that really has become a Bible for everyone or anyone working as a sales engineer called Mastering Technical Sales. In addition to Mastering Technical Sales, John has been published in various media, ranging from InfoWorld and CIO Magazine to the Wall Street Journal. He is widely credited with the creation of the first law of discovery and also the original demo crime files list in 1995. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, you're welcome, Christian, and, and thanks for the awesome introduction. I truly appreciate it and uh, thrilled to be here with you. Fantastic. Well, thank you. You know, I want to publicly say this. I want to thank you so much for accepting my invitation to connect on LinkedIn to begin with. I remember reaching out to you right after I read your book. And I just wanted to say thank you for writing the book because it has really addressed a lot of the many challenges that sales engineers or pre-sales engineers face in, in the field. Well, that, <laughs> that's wonderful to hear. And yeah, that's really the, the reason that Aaron and I wrote the, the book to, to start with is so people could learn from all the really stupid and dumb mistakes that we had made. So just to make life better for everybody else, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to give back. You know, it's great to learn from experienced uh, sales engineers and the things that you went through, you guys went through, and you guys are sharing that knowledge with us. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So thank you for that. You have been very successful in your career. You know, I, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and some of your bio there, and I noticed, you know, you have been a manager, a VP of pre-sales, a CIO, and now a managing director of your own organization. Now, I'm sure it wasn't always like this way, right? I mean, I'm sure you had to start somewhere. And probably just like everyone else, you experienced some challenges along the way. Would you agree with that? Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, what, what would life be without challenges, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I agree. You know, we would love to hear your story, the story of your first tech job. And I'm sure that you have great experiences with that. And we would like to hear how it went, you know, how it was like to, to have your first job in tech. What, what did you go through? So what did you share the story with that? Uh, Sure, happy to do that, Christian. And, and, and actually, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to combine my first two jobs in technology because one leads to the other, which I think is probably the, the reason behind this podcast anyway. So I, I graduated as a chemical engineer. Um, so you know, like, like everybody else in the profession, you know, especially in sales engineering, you, you can't go to university and get a degree in being a sales engineer. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought I wanted to be an engineer. You know, I decided I didn't want to be a scientist, so I became a chemical engineer um, and got towards the end of my senior year and going through all the various interviews and everything else and just applied for them. Um, and fortunately, I um, ended up with an interview with ESSO, which is the British affiliate of Exxon. Um, mm. And they were 
kind enough to uh, offer me a job as a chemical engineer, as a process engineer at their oil refinery in Forley, Southampton, which is right in the southern part of England. Um, now, what I do remember at that interview was I had to go down to the refinery, and I remember sitting in front of this panel of three and three or four um, you know, quite distinguished and senior engineers, and they just hammered me with questions. <laughs> and, and none of the questions were theoretical. They weren't testing book knowledge. They were testing how well could my brain actually take book knowledge and apply it to the real world. So they were asking me you know, how to start up and stop pumps, how to fix a heat exchanger, you know, what to do if there's an emergency on a process unit. And I was totally out of my depth. And <laughs> for the first for the first five, 10 minutes, I, I was panicking. I probably had flop sweat on. And then I realized mm-hmm. like this this is why you go to university. This is why you're an engineer, because you think structurally, you think logically, and you are a problem solver. And I kind of took a deep breath, got the oxygen into my lungs, um, wiggled my toes. I still remember that. I wiggled my toes in my, <laughs> in my big steel cap boots, and then just kind of like accepted the, the questions and got into it. And I know I got some of the answers wrong, um, you know, but when they offered me the job you know, two or three weeks later, they told me that one of the reasons I was offered the, the job was the fact that you know, I, I was trying to apply, as, as I said, book knowledge into real everyday life. So that's how I became a chemical engineer. Um, so fast forward a couple of years, I've been working as a chemical engineer um, on the refinery, kind of learning my trade. And then I had an opportunity to be transferred um, over here to the United States. Um, and go to work in Florham Park, New Jersey, which is the headquarters of Exxon Research and Engineering. And so that was a pretty prestigious transfer. So I was thrilled about that. And so they sent me over here to the, the U.S., which, by the way, is where I met and fell in love with my Yankee sweetheart wife, Allison. Um, so, you know, good things happened from that as well. Um, I agree. Yeah, the same no, thing no happened kidding. to me here. No, yeah, no, 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 no kidding, right? So that, that, that was... The trip was worth it just for that. And I was over here for about a year. Um, but as part of that, I was working on a project looking at how to apply technology to the everyday life of an engineer uh, working on a refinery. Um, and so that, that mainly involved you know, slide rules and tables and better note-taking and you know, automating a few things like calculating pressure drops through piping and stuff like that. And then I realized that there was a place for automation and computers in this. So when I got back mm. to the oil refinery, um, there was a vendor who came in who was selling um, basically a reporting language. Um, it was called Ramis. Um, there's, a, there's still a competitor out to it now called Focus, actually, from Information Builders. Mm. And it gave you the ability to process files that were basically kept locked up within uh, what was called data processing back then, and allow the everyday end user engineer to access data on those files and to get meaningful information out of it. And what I discovered, Christian, was that I was an okay engineer, but my talent that I had was I could explain complicated technical things to non-technical people such that they either wanted to use them or buy them. And it turned out that... Uh, one of the sales engineers from the vendor who was selling this 
technology, um, a lady called Rita Callahan, I still owe her my career, said, hey, you're pretty good at this. Um, you want a job? Uh, and by this time, I was back in England. Um, and I said, sure, why not? <laughs> uh, so they started interviewing me. I said, oh, by the way, you know, my, my wife's American. We've been living back over here in the UK for two years, but she'd love to move back to the US. Can I have a job in corporate headquarters? And they went, oh, um, okay. So that proved that if you don't ask, you don't get. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. lo and behold, I got an offer letter to uh, appear as what was called a sales support engineer working for this company, Mathematica, in Princeton, New Jersey. And I turned up the first day in the middle of August. And my boss had never met me. He'd only spoken to me on the phone. Um, and that started my life as a sales engineer. And I hate, to, I hate to say it, that was in August 1984. Wow. Wow. Just, just a few months after I was born. Yeah. They, you know, <laughs> I hate it when people say that. <laughs> this is a great story. Yeah. I, I love it. I really love that story. And, you know, as you were sharing the story, first of all, I had to agree with you about Great things happen when you come to America, right? Uh -huh. Because yes. I myself came to America after high school when I was 18 years old. And I also met my wife here. So it was a, it's, it's a, great, it's a great story that I shared with you there. Yeah. Um, you know, you were mentioning about some of the challenges you were experiencing during the interview, right? And, and just like yourself, especially when you're trying to get your first job, you know, you, you get drilled down on the questions and And uh, the interviews can be very nerve-wracking, right? Yes. And, but you share some of your uh, strategies, some of the things that you did to be able to uh, face those um, challenges and those, the nerves that you were feeling, right? Can you go into that a little bit more? Share a little bit more about that experience itself. Sure. Uh, well, so looking back on it with hindsight, right, you can then learn from your experiences. Um, mm -hmm. So... I, I learned that you can, you can certainly over-prepare for an interview. Um, mm. And one of the most important things of being an interview is you need to be you. I mean, John needs to be John. Christian needs to be Christian, right? Um, mm -hmm. So if you don't come across as being authentic, to, to use that horrible you know, phrase, but it, it fits here, um, I think that definitely comes across. And you know, fast-forwarding a number of years, you know, as a hiring manager, I mean, you look for skills and capabilities and everything else, but I, I think the number one thing I always hired for was attitude. Um, and I think if you, mm. if you then go into the interview with a positive attitude, which is what happened to me in that engineering interview, after about 10 minutes, right, when I said, you know, start using your brain and start panicking, um, <laughs> had that positive attitude, went into you know, process step-by-step -step mode, um, that, that comes through. I mean, that comes through in you know, your nonverbal communications, your verbal communications, and And everything else. Um, so you know, don't 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 over don't over prepare uh, is certainly mm -hmm. one. Um, the, the positive attitude, I think, is is incredibly important. Um, when you do want to prepare, you need to learn something about the people that you are interviewing with. Um, so what I do remember is that I had a bunch of questions to ask about um, the job itself and life on the mm -hmm. refinery. Um, safety implications and everything else. So, you know, I, I didn't ask any corporate strategy questions about Exxon because you know, wh wh why would a 21-year-old kid be asking that? Um, but what I, <laughs> what I did ask was relevant information about my day-to-day -day job, um, you know, something that went a little bit wider than the day-to-day -day job and its impact and how they measured me, how I'd know if they thought I was a good engineer and everything else. Um, so, you know, have questions, um, have relevant mm -hmm 
questions and think through the questions. Do, do remember that as much as they are interviewing you, you are interviewing them. And I think a lot That's of right. young people lose sight of that. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, as you were talking, you mentioned something that that word, you know, that, that the be authentic. I mean, so many times, you know, we see people going into interviews or speaking to somebody else and, and they try to be someone that they're not. Right. And I think finding who you are and being who you are in front of everyone, you know, um, it's going to be much better. Right. Because what, what do you say was one of the things that that they saw in you? that made the made them decide you know to to hire you i i think they what, what so what they told me was that they they saw i mean they literally after 10 minutes of the interview saw my brain kick in um you know, mm -hmm. and the, you know i i defeated the lizard brain i, I got rid of the panic and my, my, <laughs> my brain kicked in and they said, that's what we want because you're working on an oil refinery things go wrong and we rely uh, on our yeah. engineers, whether they are you know, 22 years old or 52 years old, to process what's happening and potentially take action and remediate it or fix it. We don't want people who are panicking and running around. And so that's that you know, after, after the momentary panic, um, I think, is what I showed to them. Um, and that certainly came in useful you know, at, at many, many points in my career, uh, you know, not, not panicking and maintaining a a cool head and trying to think things through. It's a great, great point. Now, as you, as you switched from, from, from that job and, and that field into the tech job, right? In the, to the tech world, what made you decide to pursue that type of field, that career in technology? Uh, so I alluded to this a bit earlier. I, I realized that I, I would be a good engineer, but I was never going to be a great world-class engineer but what i did discover that i had that talent for was you know, again <clears throat> taking something complicated that is technical and explaining it in everyday language to everyday people and, and when people even ask me now what john what does your company do i say you know, basically we teach highly technical geeks how to explain geeky stuff to business people so they will buy it <laughs> i right? love it and so i that, love it that hasn't changed in whatever 30 you know 36 40 years. Um, and so that's where my talent lay. Um, and it turned out that sales engineering, having watched what you know, Rita did, um, you know, the sales engineer from this vendor, and some other sales engineers who came in, that's what they did. And that's what they did so well. And I thought, I can do that. So that's why I asked for the job. That, that's very inspiring. Yeah. That's very inspiring, because I, I feel that in my case, in particular, right? As I as I go through life and as I discover the the passions that I have, which are which are many in many different areas, you start questioning and asking yourself, "What is it that I've been called to do? Right? What is my calling? What is my passion? What should I be focusing all my strengths into? Right?" And and so I think your story is very inspiring because it shows how when you find your passion and strengths, then that takes you to a road of success, and um. I feel that with your story, what you're sharing, you know, you found that passion, you found your strengths, and then you follow that and look where you are now, right? I mean, and you keep doing that. You keep following, continue to do, like you said, the same thing that you were doing um, back then, right? Yeah. And I am, I mean, I joke, but I am now really kind of on my fifth career. I mean, I started as an engineer and I became an individual contributor sales engineer. Um, moved up the, the ranks and the ladder somewhat in that. 
um, then jumped out a couple of times and went into the, the regular IT world as a, um, as a director of applied technology and, a, and an IT leader, then came back into sales engineering, um, became a business leader. Uh, I was a sales rep at some point too. Um, and now I ended up running my own company. And as a sideline, I'm an author. Um, so you know, it, 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 took, it took me a while to figure out what really made me happy that I could stick there. Um, I, I, I think I, 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 I secretly knew when I was 24, but it took me a long time to end up there, I think. <laughs> you know, you hear, you hear that a lot. You hear that, that if you, you already know inside you what you're supposed to do, but it takes a little bit of work and time and experience, right, until you find exactly what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like my, my son. Um, and anyone who ever met my son from the age of about five onwards would you know, take you aside afterwards and say, that kid's going to be a lawyer. Right? It, it was just the way he was. I mean, and that's where his skills were in terms of you know, arguing with things and arguing with people and reading things and everything else. Um, you know, but it, it took him a number of years after he left college to figure out, oh, I do want to go to law school. And I, I think that's probably because he had to figure it out himself and mm. everyone else is telling him he'd be a great lawyer and ultimately a, a politician, but he needed to make that decision for himself and not be pushed into it by, by other people. That's true. That's, wow, that's great. That's great. Now, going back to your first job yeah. and um, as, we, as we look at some of the challenges you experience, if we talk about skills or, or experience or their lack, lack of, right, or maybe the resume, right? How do you write your resume? How do you apply for the position? What do you think are some of the challenges that you were experiencing as you were getting to apply for jobs? Oh, um, well, so I, I was a little fortunate there. In Obviously, I had a resume applying for the, the chemical engineering job with ESSO, um, but the, mm -hmm. the job ultimately as the sales engineer, about four or five years later, which you know, got me over here, I, I pretty much tripped over it. I mean, I, I was offered it by the, the mm. vendor who'd said, you, you'll be good at this. And then I had to hastily scramble to put together a, a resume to, to give them. Um, what, what, mm. I, what I would say is, and this is advice you know, that I still provide to, to people now, is to make, make your resume about your achievements and what you've done and give concrete examples of it. Um, so, so yes, academic qualifications are important. And in some parts of the world, they're more important than, than others. But if, if you can cite specific achievements, um, things that you did, um, they are mm -hmm. great things to talk about within the interview itself, uh, far more entertaining both for you and for the interviewer, and lets you become the real you, back to that authenticity. Now, as we look at um, our careers, right, and we look back, would you say that there was somebody coaching you, somebody helping you along the way, maybe even before you got the job or as you were in the job? Uh, was that important to you? Oh, definitely. Um, so, I, I, so first of all, I had a fantastic um, teacher um, who guided me through high school. Um, hats off to you, Mr. Beckett. Um, <laughs> and so he, he was the one who kind of helped me figure out that, uh, A, I even w wanted to go to university because I, I was the, the first person on either side of my family to you know, have any kind of advanced education. Um, then he convinced me I didn't want to be a, a physicist or a chemist. Uh, I was much better suited to getting my hands dirty and fixing things. So Mr. Beckett guided me into being an engineer. Um, 
Then going into um, university, there was a professor who helped me, uh, Professor Wakeman. Um, so he was my my guide, my my, my unofficial guide and and mentor. Um, so he was kind of fabulous in terms of helping me kind of get prepared for the real world. And then as I moved out into the real world of being an engineer, um, there were several of the more experienced engineers who had 10, 15 years um, additional over and above me um, who kind of took me under their wing and helped me out. Um, so I think you know, one, one is don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, most people are willing to help you and give you a little bit of time. And then two, if you ask for help, you have to accept the help. I mean, you have to show that you are listening and processing and putting things in place. You know, I, I always say, you know, there, there's the trusted advisor and we've all given people advice, you know, but do they take it? And so a trusted <laughs> advisor is somebody who gives advice and it is taken. So I, I have been fortunate in all stages of my life, actually, um, from a very young age, age onwards to have people in my life um, who have helped me and guided me and have had the, the difficult conversation with me and, and give me the, the nudge. And I, I think that's fabulous. And I realize not everyone is as fortunate as, as I have been in that regard. Um, but you know, don't, again, don't be afraid to ask for, for help. And it can come from the most unlikely and strangest of sources. Yeah, no, I, I feel it's very powerful and, and very helpful, right, in everyone's life to have a coach, a mentor. And if you currently don't have one, uh, just like as John said, you know, ask, you know, ask for advice, ask for help. And that's how you get mentors. That's how you get people to help you. That's how you get people to coach you by, by asking, by reaching out, you know, we don't have all the answers. We know that, right. And there's people that have experience in other areas that we haven't experienced. And so by reaching out, going out and asking those questions that you have, you'll get those answers that you're looking for. And so it seems like that's very important for anyone to have a coach, a mentor, right, in their careers. Yeah. I mean, and they can be very kind of peripheral mentors. I mean, I, I, I tell the story of we, we were, so this shows you how long ago, we were starting to roll out an email system within the refinery in the early 1980s that would let us send email from the refinery to um, a research unit that we had in London, and then also over to headquarters in um, the United States. And mm -hmm. I was given the, actually, I volunteered for the job of teaching the refinery manager, who was the ultimate boss of like thousands of people in the refinery, how to use email. So, so this guy, mm -hmm. Mr. Winchester, I don't even know his first name, um, was, I guess, my boss's 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 boss. <laughs> so you can imagine how nervous I was when I walked into the office. <laughs> Um, and I had to explain how to use it. And a couple of times, you know, he, he called me and summoned me up to his office. But that is the reason that I got my assignment to the United States, because my boss's boss told me that when the list was put in front of Mr. Winchester of the candidates, he recognized my name. Wow, that's very powerful. So, yeah, so li little, little things, right? You, you, ne you never know. That's a great story. And just to do a recap here, what we've been discussing, the fact that we should be authentic every time, right? The uh, experience that you share with us about how if you apply what you learn in university, it actually works, right? And you just started doing that and that helped you. But this last part that you mentioned, a lot of the times we can be scared or afraid to 
um, face some challenges. The challenge of talking to the CTO or the CEO of the company and or, or the executives and sharing with them yeah. how to use certain things. Being a health representative, starting my career, I had to teach people how to use <laughs> Outlook correctly yeah. or do certain <laughs> things, right? Yeah. And so these opportunities gives you FaceTime and the ability to create relationships with people that will recognize you and will be able to say, you know what, this person did a great job at explaining this to me and that can open up even more opportunities. So instead of shying away from the challenges, if you face them, if you go for it and you become, you know, you'll be yourself when you're doing that, people will recognize that. Definitely. John, I'm having a lot of fun with this interview. Uh, all the input, all the information, all the stories that you're sharing are very powerful and very insightful. And as we look back and look at all of your experience and all of the things that you have learned th throughout your career, what are some of the things that you would suggest, some of the recommendations you have for those starting their careers in technology? First of all, I would say, you know, re realize that the first job you pick is probably not going to be the job that you're going to be retiring in you know, 30, 35 years mm -hmm. later. Um, so yes, it is important. Um, don't don't overanalyze it. Secondly, do something that is going to light you up. Um, I, I, I talk about the fact that I, I think I still have absolutely one of the best jobs in the world. And I love doing what I do now. And I get up in the morning. Um, I'm thrilled. I'm excited about it. You know, in the in the before times, you know, I'd be, I'd travel 150,000 miles a year and go to some really cool places mm -hmm. to talk at sales kickoffs and things like that. And it and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an awesome job. Um, in order to do that, you kind of need to figure out what, what does light you up and what turns you off. And I had this explained mm -hmm. to me by somebody a while back, and they called it a red list and a green list. Um, and the green list are those things that light you up, that excite you, that make you passionate. And the red things are the ones that make you want to stay in bed and be grumpy and drink heavily and whatever else, right? Um, and your first job, I think, just needs to be more green than red. Um, if, if you can find a job that's all green and has no red in it, like that's awesome. Um, but you know, bear, bear in mind that it's, unless you're going to be working for a very, very small startup, you're going to be way, way down the organizational chart. Um, you're not going to have a lot of opportunity to you know, make anything more than minor tactical changes in what your company does, and you're pretty much living to a job description. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's, that's reality. That's the way that it is. Having got into that job, though, you kind of look at, well, what, what can I take out of this? How is this going to make me a better person? And the, the really skilled person in that job, it's not just about them. It's about everybody else around them as well. And nowadays, when I do keynote speeches, you know, I, I challenge the sales engineers, the audience, and I tell them, you know, whether you've been an SE for two months or 20 years, um, cast a big shadow. And what cast a big shadow means is um, what other people in the company are you helping? And, hmm. and even, even if you're, you know, a, a, you've just gone through, you're a new college graduate, you've gone through an NCG program, you've been with the company for three months, you've got skills. I mean, there's a reason that company hired you. It's not just to do mundane things. Uh, you know, hmm. maybe, maybe you're way better at collaboration and social media. Um, you've got some experience in technology that the folks in that company who've been there 10, 15 years don't have. Find a way to leverage that and use it 
and you know, share your toys and share it with other people. Mm. And if you share with other people, they will share it with you. Um, so I, I, I guess to summarize all that, it's you know, ca cast a big shadow, even if you think you're a really, really small cog, um, you'll be surprised at what you can do. I love it. That sounds fantastic. John, so we've been talking a lot about some of the great successes you've had in your career, but I'm sure that you also face and experience some challenges and failures. And could you please share with us some of those? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that. There have been so many. Um, I, actually, what I will do, I will share you with you the story of my very first sales call as a sales engineer. Um, so it is... Gosh, so it's mid-1984, right, August, September 1984, and I'm going out with um, the sales manager at the time, this fellow called Joel, to do a demo uh, for the Hershey Chocolate Company in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and so mm -hmm. most of you are familiar, at least here in the U.S., with Hershey, so you know what they do. Mm -hmm. And now, at this point, I knew the product really well, and I could do what I thought was an amazing demo. I could make this product stand on its head. Um, what I didn't necessarily have are all the, the sales skills, the professional skills that went along with it. And that's what I was kind of learning. So we go along. Um, we're supposed to do a demo and a presentation of our product. And I'm up there and I'm demoing away and showing them all kinds of things. And the 60-minute meeting goes into like 90 minutes and everything else. And I think this has been the most amazing sales call ever. I think it's fantastic. So Joel and I... like shake hands with everybody. We walk out into the parking lot and then Joel turns to me. He puts his hand around my shoulder, looks at me and says, John, sales engineers do not get paid by the word. I went, <laughs> oh, what do you mean? Your job is not to tell them every single little thing that the software can do. Your job is not to be an educator. You're basically in sales and a problem solver. Um, so, he says, listen more, talk less. And as you can tell, that that is something that has stayed with me over the years. Um, sales engineers are not paid by the word. So sometimes as techies, we want to overshare and show people too much and kind of sh show how smart we are. And that's really why, that's not why you're in the room. As you, as you can see now, uh, everyone there listening, John learned from that, <laughs> from that story, from that experience. And was able to create his own organization where he, where he shares all of these experiences. In fact, John, why don't we go a little bit into that and share with us about what you guys are currently doing there at uh, Mastering Technical Sales, LLC. Sure. Um, so we work on professional skills for sales engineers. Now, you might be saying, what's professional skills? Uh, most of the world calls them soft skills. Uh, but one marketing tip I'll, I'll give you, particularly anybody in sales enablement, is it's much easier to get money for professional skills than soft skills. So we do professional skills. Uh, so pretty much anything that a sales engineer does that's outside of pure technology. So business value discovery, um, demos, presentations, whiteboarding, working with executives, handling question and answer sessions. Uh, becoming the trusted advisor, we have a module around that that teaches sales engineers best practices and how actually to fit it into their everyday life as a as a sales engineer. Uh, so we we have a group of people around the world. Uh, so we actually deliver in not only English and American, uh, but also 
Spanish, <laughs> Japanese, Korean, and Mandarin. Uh, we have about 250 mm. clients around the world right now. Um, and then we also amplify that with training um, around leadership. So we have a, you know, the newest book that we just came out with, with the Sales Engineer Managers Handbook, um, and that's been doing really well. So we do leadership classes around that, and then also you know, keynote speeches and a little bit of management consulting too. So what, what started as an idea for a book 20 years ago, because I couldn't find anybody to come in and train my sales engineers, uh, has now morphed into this amazing company um, that's you know truly humbling, right? I mean, who who thought? It, it's it, it amazes me every morning when I wake up and think that you know people people want to be trained by this and the, the, the company that we have that we have built. So I, I think that's pretty awesome and, and says a lot for sales engineers. You know, there's there's five six hundred thousand of us around the world, and we are always hungry for for knowledge and wisdom, right? And how can people reach out or contact you or look into getting more information or resources? Oh, uh, many ways, Christian. So, so they can obviously do what you did, which is to ping me on LinkedIn. Um, always, mm-hmm. If you have sales engineer in your title or something like that, uh, I'm pretty much guaranteed to respond. Uh, just, <laughs> just, just don't make contact with me and try and sell me something. Um, that's... Exactly. <laughs> Someone set a new record for that on Friday. I think it was about six microseconds after I connected with them, they sent me a message to sell me. <laughs> oh, really wow. irritating. Um, you can visit the website, so www.masteringtechnicalsales.com. And there's a ton of uh, free material up there about being a sales engineer. Um, and then obviously you can go and acquire one of the three books. So the main book is called Mastering Technical Sales, The Sales Engineer's Handbook. A adjacent volume to that is the Trusted Advisor Sales Engineer. And then the third book is called the Sales Engineer Manager's Handbook. Um, and so they all cater to a slightly different part of the, the audience. Um, so that's the best way to, to reach us um, through the web, website, read the book, or just ping us on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you guys can reach out and get more resources. Perhaps if you're starting your career and you want to go, go into a pre-sales role, this is the place to go to get that information. And from our end uh, here at Tech Career Podcast, we want to thank you so much for joining us. I want to remind you of something that probably you don't know, but if you have any questions for future shows or you would like to ask questions to any of our guests, you can actually send a recorded message uh, by going to our website at www.takecareerpodcast.com and you'll see a button there that will say recorded messages. And you can send us your questions. It has been a pleasure, John. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Oh, you're welcome. This is uh, this this has been fun. I love doing things like this, and it's our way of giving something back to the community, right? So paying it back. So um, th- thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it. I appreciate it, John. Well, thank you, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Tech Career Podcast. Don't forget to check out our website for more information on how to connect with us by visiting www.techcareerpodcast.com. That's www.techcareerpodcast.com.